Totally Football Show. Today, why are Chelsea like a packet of rich tea? Because Big Duncan makes them fall apart. We tackle all the big issues, from Sun young men looking superhuman to the Manchester derby, Ollie no longer looking like a Wally trolley. All that and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, you. In your Totally Football show today, we have Matt Davies-Adams. Hello. Hi, Matt. You were on duty for Chelsea TV at Goodison Park. Surely was, yeah. Mm, much to discuss from that. Also, Daniel Storey's here from Football 365. <laughs> and others. Good morning. Yeah, and others. Michael Cox is in too. Hi, James. From The Athletic. That's the one. Just The Athletic. Yeah, pretty much. All right, then. Lots happened, Michael, since we were in here last Thursday. Mm-hmm. Arsenal got beaten 2-1 at home by Brighton in Freddie Lundberg's first home game in charge. Everton sat Marco Silva and brought in pigeon-fancying Duncan Ferguson. Watford went for ostrich-loving Nigel Pearson. And Man United beat Man City in the Manchester derby. So many questions. Duncan Ferguson, pigeon-fancier, Daniel? Yes, that's uh, an allusion to the fact that he... Uh, maybe still does, but kept or keeps pigeons, racing pigeons, right. and used to drive them to the Everton training ground in a van and let them fly away and come back. Right. Why not? Why not indeed? We'll talk about Duncan later on, but I think the occasion demands that we begin, Matt, with the Manchester derby. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. All right, Man United, 2-1 win at the Etihad in the space of a week. Under far, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has now beaten Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. How? Michael, you've watched this game twice. What happened? Well, I think really United won it in the first half hour, as you can see from the goal scoring. But they were brilliant on the counter-attack during that period. I think City have had a couple of games this season where they've looked really bad when they lose the ball. And this was another occasion. I thought United's transitions were excellent. The way that Lindelof played the ball out of defence. The way that Lingard in particular kind of took it in his stride and countered. And City just didn't seem to have the organisation and didn't seem to have the ability to win the ball. I thought there was so much space between the lines and midfield. And uh, United were deservedly 2-0 up. I think after that, obviously, City rallied and United, to a certain extent, were holding on. But, uh, yeah, the first half hour, I think, was really quite damning for City. So many uh, United players impressing. Rashford, of course. Wan-Bissaka, who looked extraordinary. Mm. Fred, adding to his uh, growing number of of admirers, and uh, is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now a good manager? Uh, I think he has answered some critics in the last week, for sure, on this podcast included. We said it last Monday in the preview to the Spurs game. These are the type of games that Manchester United have succeeded in. They've played five and won three and drawn two against the big six this season already, and they've beaten Leicester at home on top of that. Without the ball, they had 28% possession against City. Without the ball... They invite the opposition on, and if they manage to avoid conceding early, they then hit them on the counter. And mm. credit goes to Solskjaer for being brave in leaving Rashford and James both so high up the pitch. I think because if he'd have just left one of them up there, maybe City would have been able to counter that, you know, kind of offset that threat. But by leaving both of them, it gave them something to think about. And the reality is, is that City weren't good enough to defend it. Played into their favour that they went into the game as underdogs, even though City were out of form, so sort of less pressure on them maybe to get a result. But, but on the being better against good teams, obviously they beat Spurs and and City in the space of what four days. Next four in the Premier League: Everton, Watford, Newcastle, and Burnley. So they ought to be winning three of those and not losing the other for par. 
So if they do that, then we can say that, yes, he has progressed as a manager, I think. But um, it, it's weird that that it seems to be a bigger test for them than playing Spurs and City. OK. Do you think Pep has regressed as a manager? This this team seems to have lost a, lost a bit of interest. I think he has made one big mistake this season, which was when Americ Laporte got injured, he made the immediate move to put Fernandinho in central defence, which... If Fernandinho had improved their defence markedly and Rodri had been able to hold the fort in midfield, I think would have worked. But neither of those is true. And the problem is, is it, it now feels like it sent a message to City's other centre-backs of, my manager doesn't really fancy me. If he's already going for a, a central midfielder as first option, what does that say about me? And when he also has this problem that he, he doesn't really know, I think they've picked five different fullback pairs in the last six games. He doesn't really know what to do at fullback. Angelino doesn't look brilliant. Kyle Walker's regressed. He's obviously not completely convinced by Concello yet. Benjamin Mendy has never settled in and Zinchenko's injured. He's got problems in pretty much every defensive area. It's Yeah, it's not good. It's not good mm. at all. I mean, you were mentioning their, their play off the ball, Michael, and it does feel that there's a little bit less appetite there than you might expect. Is it because having been serial champions, they're just not sure what they're fighting for anymore, 14 points off the top? Maybe that is true. I mean, certainly there's less intensity without the ball, less cohesion. They're not very compact when they lose possession. And yeah, part of that probably just comes down to the uh, intensity. And uh, yeah, it was a problem against Chelsea. We spoke two weeks ago against Chelsea and I thought they got away with it really in that game. But uh, they didn't get away with it here. And I think United deserve a lot of credit. There's there's players who've been criticised like Lingard. I thought it was excellent carrying the ball forward. And uh, yeah, United are are best in these games, you know. Absolutely. City have regressed and Pep feels a bit depressed as well to me in that it, I mean he's not he's not a massively charismatic bubbly kind of guy at the best of times but he's, he's talking the post-match saying oh you know we're miles behind Juventus and Barcelona right. and, and Man United so he says uh, United have the quality to defend the quality to attack on the counter-attack and you have to accept that this is the level we face against Liverpool United Barcelona Madrid Juventus they are the teams we have to face the reality is maybe we are not able now to compete with them which is a staggering thing to say after that much money spent and that many players assembled and having you know supposedly the best coach in the world mm. in charge of them um, yeah it, it feels very strange whether it's just coming you know to a natural conclusion in, in terms of his time there there's some talk today that they're already succession planning behind the scenes but um, I, and I also find it hard to buy this argument that well they're just concentrate on the Champions League and try and win that because I don't see how they can play themselves into form in that competition yeah. when they're not informed. It's not the like Premier. they've been shining in that competition anyway of late. Yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. It's a tough old season. Yeah, they might win the Carabao Cup for the fourth season in a row, but that's not what they're aiming for. Do you not see them bouncing back at some point? Yeah, I mean, their next three games, they've got three nice away games um, in different competitions. Dinamo Zagreb this week, Oxford in the Cup and then Arsenal. So there's an opportunity to play yourself back into some form in those matches. But they're too far behind in the league to, to challenge Liverpool, it seems. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's Champions League or bust. And that's a difficult competition to win, even when you're in great form. All right. Who's going to finish higher in the league this season, United or City, Daniel? I still think City will probably finish higher, but I do agree that that's them done for the title. They now... Uh, they're 14 points behind Liverpool. So if they win every game, mm. then Liverpool have got to drop as many points in the last 22 as they have in the last 44, I think. Uh, it's just... And, you know, and that's unfairly discounting Leicester, who are in better form in every area of the pitch than Man City at the moment. OK. That's One other thing. Statting. Can I just say, I really like that <laughs> stat. Nothing in front of him either, by the way, listener. That's just boom, boom, boom. Straight off the top of uh, magnificent noggins. The 22-44 thing works really nicely. <laughs> I like that. Nice. Uh, a quick word on the attacks on Fred and I think one or two other players. 
by uh, people in the uh, Etihad crowd because there was one guy who's been identified or there's a, a video which appears to identify somebody p- uh, potentially racially abusing Fred, but there was also a barrage of, of lighters and other objects thrown, one of which certainly struck Fred. Uh, it seems to be a quick response by City. Yeah, which is the only positive aspect of it that they have. The, the only positive aspect... I'll start that again. Yeah, the only positive aspect of this is that the reactions are now at least sort of universal and, and swift. But if we are going to lambast Montenegro and Bulgaria and Syria, then we have to look at ourselves because there's a League Two game suspended as well on Saturday for supporter racism, Forest Green Scunthorpe. So these are not one-off incidents. And until we get our own house in order, it's a little bit rich to, to write scaling pieces about others, I suppose. Listener, next up, let's talk about new manager bounce. Part one... Everton 3-1 Chelsea. Everton with big dunk at the helm. So this is the team that just days before had lost 5-2 against Liverpool. What did he do? He seems to have given them a kick up the proverbial because in his programme notes he talks about this is my pride for the club. I need to make the players understand that. I assume he did the same in his pre-match team talk. His his actions on the touchline were... um, comedic they were so expressive and passionate and it seems to have worked um which is probably a sad reflection on marco silva's kind of touchline statues that he did for the most of the last few months in charge i think it's probably a short-term thing getting them motivated like that but all power to duncan ferguson because he is a man who loves everton very dearly and that will stay with him for the rest of his life, basically, because he, he it was probably his proudest day, his inspiration making a difference against Chelsea. You were there, Matt. I was. It's worth, um, Daniel's alluded to his programme notes there. I've made a note of some of them. Um, fans of sim- synonyms for the earth are in for a treat. Uh, There's nothing on this earth that felt as good as scoring a goal for this club. There's no greater privilege in the world than managing Everton. I'm the proudest man on the planet managing right. Everton today. Um, yeah. Extraordinary. I mean, there's this great stat that they made more tackles in that game than they had in any game in a decade and in any team as in the Premier League this right. season, um, which a lot of people have used to kind of damn the players of, well, why weren't they doing that over under Marco Silva? But I would suggest that part of the manager's job is to motivate the players to do that kind of thing. And, and you know, if it wasn't for Manuel Pellegrini, Silva would have been the least charismatic manager in the Premier League. Maybe difficult to get up for playing for him in a way that it wasn't for, for Ferguson. But he went, you know, with with Calvert-Lewin up front, who's who's very much a, a Ferguson-like type figure, won every header against Andreas Christensen, was absolutely brilliant. Sadibi at right back, fantastic too. And it was just this very kind of... Um, blood and thunder up and at and performance which right. you would expect um first time i've ever been to goodison park what an amazing place i mean it was literally shaking with noise which it wouldn't have been uh, under marco silver and, and chelsea just couldn't live with the kind of passion that ensued that's a short-term fix but passion yeah was it just passion though is it just a question of getting in big scary managers who shout at people Seems to have helped, but I thought they were really well organised without the ball. Played 4-4-2. Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison worked really, really hard. I thought Calvert-Lewin in particular was just making a nuisance of himself the whole game. Obviously scored two goals as well, but without the ball, those two did uh, did a lot of work that uh, I think made life easier for, for Sigurdsson and Schneiderlin behind. who both did pretty well, but uh, it almost felt like their role 
was relatively simple because lots of others were doing the work for them. Calvert right. Loon, very underrated player, and um, post match the the interview area at Goodison was very very tight, and Ferguson was was doing a TV, and Calvert Loon had a bunch of radio reporters around him, and he sort of stopped him afterwards and said, uh, "You know, what's that now? Five goals in the Premier League, is it, big man? Seven in all comps, seven in all comps. Wow, that's amazing. You're doing so good." And Calvert Loon was obviously beaming, having worked with him for years and years at the under twenty threes or whatever. And I think Ferguson has been on the first team staff since the Roberto Martinez days apparently was sidelined by Ronald Koeman and was basically putting cones out in training um, but he's obviously got some tactical awareness about him as well as the um, the ability to to motivate people but you can't see it lasting as a, as a, a long-term appointment I wouldn't have thought you know if he wins his next few games maybe he gets it to the end of the season but next few games look interesting they're away at Man United who he had a great record against as a player then they got Leicester at home in the League Cup and then Arsenal away. Right. That's interesting. I mean, but the hard work only just starting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, this is a, a fairly limited squad that are just above the relegation zone. Or is it a limited off. squad? Um, I think so, yeah. I mean, they've got three or four good players, but there's a lot of, you know, like the likes of Schneidlin. And, and they had Mason Holgate and uh, who else Keane. is at centre-half? Michael Keane. Michael Keane, you know, as, as a centre-half pairing. That's not great. Mm. So there's areas for improvement for them, certainly. Um, Richarlison's an interesting player to watch he's quite good but he just falls over all the time to the point that his teammates don't even acknowledge it um, very frustrating I wonder if Ferguson might knock a bit of that out of him I see uh, on, on Chelsea yes. um, the headline until now of their season has been aren't the young players doing really well it is now becoming aren't those young players in defence really struggling They've now kept they've kept four clean sheets this season in twenty four games, and same stage last season twelve under Sarri. Now I know Mauricio Sarri. The caveat is always well he had Eden Hazard, but for the for the defending, that's a little bit less relevant. And the one thing they look like they lack is a defensive leader with experience. And obviously we always talk about the young players, but that, the decision to lose Gary Cahill looks. Worse and worse, I think. They're conceding goals like there's no tomorrow. Which there wasn't this very week. good. Yeah, no, nor the week before. I mean, the Gary Cahill thing, I think you can put that at Maurizio Sarri's door because he yeah. ostracised him to the point that he didn't want to be at the club anymore. So that, that's not really anything um, to do with the current management. But there's definitely an error here in terms of the team that was picked, I think, in, in having Zuma play left centre-back, which is he's right-footed. And as Piliqueta, a right-footed left-back, that was always going to be a problem area. Uh, whether Rudiger comes back, you know, his injuries lasted an awful long time. How long it takes him to get fit. Now that they can sign players, they definitely need to sign at least one, probably two defenders in January, if, if right. possible. Three defeats in the last five, just four clean sheets all season. Are you concerned, Matt, or is this the kind of blip that's inevitable from a young team? It is, and we said that when they were doing well, there'll be a blip and it's inevitable for a young team. Obviously, you know, if they beat Lille and qualify for the knockout stages of the Champions League this week, then that becomes the headline. And then they've got Bournemouth at home on Saturday, which looks like a gimme. So we could be talking about, you know, a different mood around Chelsea this time next week. Right, Lille and then Bournemouth. That's very appetising, isn't it? Um, Lille, who are actually third in League One, but Ligue 1, sorry. But yeah, not offered much in the group. No, indeed not. It, with Jorginho's absence, how key was that, or otherwise? Uh, pretty curious. Yeah. So I was uh, commentating with our friend Pat Nevin, and oh, he's God. the biggest Jorginho. I mean, fan I say, oh God, not because it's Pat Nevin, <laughs> but because he will have been distraught. He this. was. Yeah. I tell you what, walking around Goodison Park with Pat is like walking around Rome with the Pope, because you've got the Everton fans and the Chelsea fans just lauding him. It took us about half an hour right. to make the hundred-yard walk to our position. Um, but yeah, he he said. 
not in terms of Jorginho being a defensive screen, but just starting how Chelsea play. They they had most of the possession, but they were going sideways with it and not doing much with it. And and a midfield three of Jorginho, Kante and Kovacic feels like the best look for Chelsea at the moment. I know Mason Mount scored a brilliant goal against Villa on Wednesday, but he's looking like he could maybe do with a couple of games out of the team. So Jorginho got rested last weekend, didn't he, ahead of the midweek round? And he got rested this time, presumably for the Champions League. Is that fair? Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, it might even just be a, a tactical thing in terms of the opposition. But yeah, he, I was surprised that he's missed two Premier League games in a row. But um, certainly in a Champions League game, you'd, you'd be wanting him because he's kind of made for that competition, I think. Right. 100 managers have applied for the Everton job, apparently. It's a lot, isn't it? A lot of them with football manager CVs. I would Do you, reckon? you always get a few of those, don't you? I'd love to see the list. And I'd also be intrigued to know how 100 managers know who to contact. Whose email address, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should give it a go. People just go marcel.brands at evertonfc.com <laughs> and, and hoping for the best, probably. Probably. Mm. Why not, Michael? Why not? Uh, anyway, let's talk about more new manager bounce with Watford, who've appointed Harry Pearson. And Nigel. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Harry Pearson's the writer. Sorry. He's a good writer, but that was not... hilarious. <laughs> he's one of the hundred that's applied for... <laughs> Wouldn't that be fantastic? Do you remember when that taxi drive got interviewed on BBC? Imagine if Harry Pearson got interviewed. <laughs> Sorry. Right, anyway, but no, as you say, Nigel Pearson. Mm. Um, Pearson Harmony at uh, Vicarage Road. Yeah, you I mean, went along for what was, you said, the worst game it's what, the worst of the season? As, it's the worst game I've seen this season by a, a, a fair way. What was the bad um, about it? Well, it, put it this way, I thought Crystal Palace were marginally the better, more threatening team and they didn't have a shot on target. So that was... Watford weren't awful, but the problem is is that they're so long confidence that when, they pass it slow and slow and slow and that's fine, but it's not a prelude to anything. But as soon as they try and quicken it up, something goes wrong, they make a mistake and the crowd groan and that's that. And yeah, Pearson, it should be said, wasn't in charge for that game. He was sat in the stands, paraded before the kickoff. Um, How did that go down? Yeah, it's strange. He, he came on the pitch and he did. He subsequently did a lap of honour. But before that, he just sort of nodded at all four sections of the crowd like a like you might do to a waiter to keep pouring the wine, something like that. It was just sort of a nod to go, yes, I'm here, I'm here. And then he did a big lap of honour. And I thought, oh, it's good to get the lap of honour in before you play Liverpool away. Right. But it feels like a, a bizarre shot to nothing on both parts. He's got a contract at the end of the season. You kind of fear for, for Watford because, yeah, they just... They don't seem to have any balance. If they defend, they can't go forward. If they go forward, they're left open at the back. And they're miles from safety, both in terms of points and in terms of how they're playing. Michael, you picked up on the tweet from Ian Baker, the journalist at the centre of the celebrated Are You an Ostrich outburst back in King Power days with uh, Nigel Pearson. And his tweet, uh, I've just heard, this is from Ian Baker, just heard the Nigel Pearson of Watford rumour, guess where I am this weekend. Mm. I don't know if the two ever came face to face. Daniel, were you in the No, I, I, I did see Ian Baker there, but uh, to be fair to Watford, they let Hayden Mullins do everything. Right. It was his second game in charge. They gave him a really good reception before the game and they Pearson literally went on the pitch before the game and then stayed well out of the way. So. Going back to uh, those days at Leicester, mm. um, he arguably laid the groundwork for the, their title win, would you say? Has he been a little bit written out of history on that? No, I think the opposite. I think, with, with the greatest respect, and he did a good job to get them promoted and, right. and to, keep, uh, to keep them up. But there was no signs they were about to win the title. So well, I'm, not sure, you I'm not sure he really la- laid the groundwork. Personally. Duncan Alexander said there was. Do you remember that? On his flip reverser, he gave Pearson all the credit, didn't he? There you he? go. 
So, um, you know, which do you go with? Duncan's that's an, that's another, that's another Cox Alexander no, no, battle that, we don't need. But like, that's the point. He hasn't been written out of history. Yeah, no, I, I think agree. his place in history is maybe slightly overemphasized. It should okay. also be said that he's, he's, the last two clubs he's left have been in the Championship and the Belgian Second Division, ah. where he was appointed because the same club are owned by Leicester City and it was a bit of a favour. So right. that was after missing out on the Middlesbrough job to Tony Pulis, I think, or right. maybe Jonathan Woodgate. So, yeah, I mean, this is a good get for him to get a Premier League job although it might not be for long. That, those seven wins in, in the final nine games of that season, the season before the, the title win, which is kind of what I'm referring to, mm. at least stands a good stead for Watford fans who are hoping of, uh, hopeful of, of uh, making up the six points that separate them uh, now from bottom place and the other side of that dotted line. Uh, Craig Shakespeare is back as his assistant. So it's that's good to nice. know. All right. Uh, up next, let's talk Liverpool. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Finding pastel de natas in a London cafe? Special. Winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games? Not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Champions League, Liverpool continue their hot streak at the weekend after that 5-2 in the derby. A 3-0 against Bournemouth with, as the scoreline suggests, a clean sheet. Bournemouth in real trouble, Matt. Who saw this coming? No apologies necessary. Let's get on with the pod. But, you know, remember, you need to learn. Um... Yeah, you know, Bournemouth... That's halfway to a Steve Bruce impression, weirdly. <laughs> Bournemouth, they've lost five in a row. They didn't have a shot on target in this game. They lost their best player, Nathan Ake, to injury. Callum Wills hasn't scored since September. They've got an inexperienced Looks like he's keeper. gone out as well with a hamstring now. Yeah, yes. And, and, you know, Simon Francis, don't get me wrong, I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but he was he playing nice for him in League One. Should, Should he still be working here? <laughs> you know, him, Charlie Daniels, mm. um, Dan Gosling... These kind of people who, great, they played in the first couple of seasons in the Premier League, but you need to upgrade the squad after a while, and it hasn't happened, and, and now right. they look like they're going to get relegated. Well, he's, <laughs> they're one point off the drop as it stands. They're coming off five straight defeats, goalless in their last two, didn't have a single shot here, but in Eddie Howe's defence, he's without now, what, 10 first-teamers? Yeah, they've got the longest injury list in the Premier League, which um, is all I'm clinging to in a, a bitter argument against Matt Davies-Adams. <laughs> right. Your case for them staying up is, Daniel? They're better than the teams below them. Right, that's quite a solid <laughs> argument, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, look, it's not nailed on they're going to go down or anything, but they're, they're struggling badly. And, and Eddie Howe was kind of asked if um, speculation linking him to the Everton job had uh, played a part in their poor form. And I thought well, it's really fanciful to be linking him to other jobs at the moment, you know, with the likes of Everton. What's, what, what's he doing to deserve that? Right. Why do you hate Bournemouth and Eddie Howe yeah, so much? Because <laughs> they're a small little club <laughs> and they've been in the Premier League for ages and Forest haven't been here for 20 years. No, I don't hate them at all. It, it's, it, it, I just think that they've been sleepwalking their way into this for, I don't know, maybe about 18 months now and right. they don't seem to be arresting it. Right. Perhaps because every time they've kind of got gotten away with it somehow... Yeah, and the, the theory has been, well, this is Bournemouth, they lose five and then they'll win the next five, but it's not happening this season. Right, although I can't believe they really think that. They've lost five, they'll win the next five, done. <laughs> Very good. As for Liverpool, though, they are absolutely flying, despite making seven changes 
to the team with an eye on a key match coming up on Tuesday at Red Bull Salzburg. Nandi Keita and Oxley Chamberlain both scoring with Mane and Firmino left out. Oh, no, Firmino played, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, just Mane left out. All right, Mane left out. Yeah, the last two games, they've played some fantastic through balls in behind. Sure. You know, they seem to just be improving in every aspect as time goes on. Henderson's passing again was, was excellent here. Um, yeah, I said on uh, on Thursday, I don't think they'll probably play their first 11 at all in December with the maybe exception of that game on Boxing Day against Leicester because they've got so many games they're going to have to rotate every game. All right. But uh, yeah, no problems against Bournemouth whatsoever. They're excellent. Four games in the next 10 days. Four games in four competitions in three different countries. Mm. You've got World Club Cup semi-final. That's next Wednesday the 18th. Before that, they're home to Aston Villa in the League Cup. That's literally the day before. They're home to Watford in the Premier League next Saturday. But this Tuesday, as I mentioned, they've got that trip to Austria to take on Red Bull Salzburg, who proved a feisty bunch at Anfield. That 4-3 win for Liverpool featured Red Bull coming back from 3-0 down to tie it up at 3-3. Without, for the main part, their main man Erling Haaland. Liverpool just need a point to be certain of going through. Will they get it? Well, let's get a view now from a man who looks at uh, Red Bull Salzburg an awful lot. Lee Wingate from the Other Bundesliga podcast. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. A huge week in Austrian football. Uh, You're fresh from seeing the Vienna derby. Yep, four goals yesterday. It was a it was a really really entertaining game. Both teams have fallen a bit on hard times recently and don't really have too much to play for. But that that didn't really dampen the atmosphere yesterday. It was a it was a really good watch. Brilliant. And, and now the attention of the Austrian football focuses, I imagine, on Tuesday tea times clash with Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool just need a point. A lot of people, I think, assume this is going to be straightforward because they're European champions and Red Bull are Austrian. But what do you think? It's difficult to say. Red Bull have got a very good home record at the uh, at the Red Bull Arena, and they showed, I think, in the uh, in the reverse fixture a few months ago that they can really compete with Liverpool and, and trouble any of the top sides in Europe. I'm just a little bit worried about them defensively. They're uh, they're a little bit vulnerable at the back. Haven't kept a clean sheet in the in the Champions League yet. So I think I think my money is probably on Liverpool, but I don't think they'll have it easy. OK, uh, you mentioned the, the reverse fixture, which, which was an extraordinary performance by uh, Red Bull, not least because their goal machine, Erling Haaland, actually started that game on the bench. Was he not coming back from flu at the time? Yeah, he's had a, he's had a couple of little niggles that have kept him out of the team over the past couple of months. But he's um, he played again at the weekend, scored again at the weekend um, against uh, Tyrol. So he'll, he'll, I'm sure he'll be starting this one. How dangerous is he? Uh, incredibly. I mean, I think a lot of people do doubt the the quality of the league he's playing in at the moment. And to some degree, I understand that. But the numbers, I think, really speak volumes. 28 goals now in uh, and seven assists in, in 21 matches in all competitions. And uh, I mean, he's averaging, I think, a goal in the Champions League at the moment every 37 minutes. So um, it's, it's quite some record. And uh, I think he'll um, he'll definitely be the, the player that they'll, they'll need to be most aware of um, on ex- Tuesday. Extraordinary numbers, not least because they're in a group with uh, two teams who should be pretty tight defensively, uh, Liverpool and, and Napoli. And, and Genk aren't, aren't the easiest touch in the world either. Yeah, apparently they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he just he, he scored in every game. I think he's now one of only three players in history to score in their first, first five Champions League uh, Champions League appearances. So, he's, yeah, he's just he's really, he's really doing it um, in, against every opponent at the moment. 
OK, uh, just on the subject of his future, there's talk of him having a quite a reasonable release clause, maybe around 17 million, and that Borussia Dortmund may have already got on that in a big way. Yeah, I've been reading varying reports at the moment, and it's hard to really know what to believe. I also read that um, Red Bull, oh, sorry, RB Leipzig have a, a, a first right of refusal, um, but the Salzburg sporting director, Christoph Freund, has refused that. I think he's going to end up at a big club wherever he goes next. Potentially Borussia Dortmund, as, as you say, they've been linked extensively. Then there's Man United because of the Solskjaer connection as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be a big name where, where he ends up next. Although I would would add that um, I don't think it's likely to, to be in the winter. I think um, quite a few media sources here have been speculating about when he'll leave. I don't think he'll be keen to, to rush out of the door in January. But by the same token, I can't imagine he'll still be in Austria next season. So I think a summer transfer is most likely. Salzburg Liverpool kicking off the final match day of this Champions League group stage. Which game are you most looking forward to, Matt? Oh, well, it's got to be Chelsea, Lil, because it's the only one I'm going to. Okay. Boring answer, but. Mm. You've also got Inter Barcelona if you're feeling a little bit continental. That's going to be huge, especially, you know, given what Barcelona did this weekend. Messi's hat trick, the Suarez, obscene yes. Suarez goal. Although I'm not sure how many of them. There's a lot of talk that. Some of them might not make the trip because Barcelona already qualified to San Siro. Would they have to get the coach there? <laughs> That's the question. This is, of course, the uh, the, the, the famous uh, Icelandic volcano fixture from back in 2010, mm. which you can actually, if you're curious what that means, there's a great Galazzo episode um, all about Inter's treble win under Mourinho and how much the Icelandic volcano, which is called... Bingo. But good question, Michael. It's going to be an amazing game anyway. Barcelona in incredible form. Inter held goalless by Roma at San Siro at the weekend. But extended their lead. Oh, yeah, they did because Juve lost mm. in a really dramatic game at Stadio Olimpico. Tell you what, you can hear loads more about that in uh, the Tuesday edition of the Totally Football Show, which is all European. Uh, crikey. Loads of other great uh, games coming up in Europe. You can follow them all on the Gold Show on BT Sport if you want. I will be because my trip to France has been cancelled by a Eurostar strike. No way. What, yeah, I was going to, going to see the, the I was going the to Leon Leipzig and then PSG Galatasaray. Wow. I'm now doing neither, which the Wednesday Gold Show will make up for it, though. Right. Wednesday Gold Show is the one where everything's pretty much settled. It's Tuesdays that you really want to tune, tune in for. Um <laughs> Right, Forest Middlesbrough, sadly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of other things that are around, there's a brand new Golazzo out this week. Uh, first of a two-parter, all about Gianluca Vialli. Ooh, yeah. That'd be good. Uh, other things you might want to listen to, listener. Uh, there's a new episode of our history show for the BBC. You're dead to me. This one's all about the history of Christmas. You can find that on the BBC Sounds and all the usual places. Totally Scottish football show later in the week. Would go big on the Scottish League Cup final. How could they not? What an extraordinary match that was. And Fraser Forster, what an incredible performance from him. Yeah, he seems to be one of those players who can only perform very well for a, one club because he's brilliant all the time at Celtic and fell off a cliff at Southampton. Well, he was he was five star, not four star. Very yeah, good. Yeah, no, it's quite. I'm sure. <laughs> no, no, no. Genuinely good. Um, but there's, I mean, one save in particular, which is defies belief mm. every bit as much as Suarez's crazy back heel 
that that Suarez goal was the best goal I've seen in a long, long. Was the it, whole move, yeah, the whole move, ah, the yeah. impudence of the finish. It was absolutely brilliant. Okay, because there were there were other goals this weekend. <laughs> Correct. Uh, <laughs> including including one from Goran Pandev, an absolute belter. Did you see that? He yes. lobs the keeper from about 40 yards. Just amazing because he is about 70 by now, <laughs> Goran. I mean, he's literally... Uh, but anyway, uh, but there was also at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Wow, that's how Song Hyun mins goal went down in Korea. Your book's just been published in Korea, Michael. It has, yes. What's it called? Is that, I assume it's called Zonal Marking. Okay. Just the yeah. cover looks amazing, wonderfully retro, doesn't it? Looks great. Bizarre. Right. But it's very pleasant. Anyway, Son's goal. Sonaldo, as they're calling him after that. Extraordinary coast to coast run, Matt. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I've got to say, I'm with Spoil Sport, Sean Dyche, though, who said we should have made a technical foul. It was very naive of us not to stop it. It's what I always think with that Ryan Giggs FA Cup semi final goal. Just somebody foul him at some point. Is that the one? He doesn't score it. Because my mind always goes to the Georgia Ware against Verona. Sincere. Other people would go with Ronaldo against Compostea. Compostea, mm. right. Original Ronaldo, of course. Yeah, mm. real Ronaldo. Is that. Um, is that your favourite kind of goal? The, the 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 player just doing a crazy solo Forrest Gump esque. I, I think it's my least. Yeah. Is it? No, least... long range is my least favourite. I think. Uh, well, I like a lot. I like yeah. a thunderbastard. Team move is surely. Yeah, team move is the ultimate. I don't really care about long range long range blasts, but when there's a trajectory like that uh, Pavard goal, for example, I right. think that was beautiful. Ones that are absolutely dead oh. straight. Oh no! It was quite well, the that, that was a real curling. Oh, that was ground. curling, yeah. Yeah. right? Sorry, yeah. But just to dribble, I find it's a great goal, but it's not my favourite type personally. Of course, the other one, Diego Maradona, <laughs> famous. Yeah, yeah, again, somebody bring him down. But should we say about Spurs? Yes. Harry Kane's goal was very good as well. There's been yes. a little bit of talk this season about Kane slightly dropping off, which is probably not without reason. But this is 25 goals in 26 games for club and country, which. If that's a bad season, you know, you, he will take it. Uh, and a clean sheet, which is what pleased Mourinho the most, true to, true to his reputation. But On the subject of Son, Jamie Henderson asks, is he now reaching Kakar-esque levels of being just as, as fast when dribbling with the ball as running without it? Possibly yeah. so, Jamie. That's uh... it's a nice comparison. Mm. Yeah. yeah, There is a very simmering bromance between Mourinho and, and Son. Son talked about the change in positive vibes since Mourinho came in. Right. Mourinho had already said him, I love him so much. Right. Uh, and then obviously he mentioned his son already calling him Sonaldo before this game. Right. As a kind of, you know, just using a little bit of uh, emotional, uh, familial heft to it to sort of talk about their relationship. And yeah, Deli Ali has been brilliant since he came in, but it looks like that's a real, you know, that's a real success story already for Mourinho. Crikey. Although it was at home to Burnley. Mm. Mm, feel a bit sorry for Sean Dyche at the moment. I mean, they lost three in a row, aggregate score 11-1. And, and looking at their squad, you think they need to freshen up, but you know that they're not going to, uh, or certainly not to any great degree. You know, who was their big summer by this season? Probably getting Jay Rodriguez back and Eric Peters at left back. They, he's a manager who's not helped by his board not giving him 
the money to um, to strengthen his squad in a way that it, it looks like it needs it at the moment. And it, if it carries on, that starts to affect his reputation, which might be a little bit harsh because he's mm. done a, a well, an excellent job with Burnley, hasn't he, overall? Right, they're currently lying 13th, but three points off the drop. Next four games not looking the easiest. They've got Newcastle, uh, then Bournemouth away, uh, then Everton away, and then uh, Man United at home. Three of those are against teams below. This season, Burnley have played 10 games against teams above them, mm. and they've got taken two points out of 30. So Ooh. at those games against the teams below them, we always used to think Burnley made things tough for the big teams. Actually, it's the opposite this season. They're winning at home against teams worse than them, and that is probably going to be enough to keep him in the league, I guess. All right. Next up, Spurs, Bayern Munich, which doesn't matter too much because this group in the Champions League is already sorted out. But then again, this was the Bayern side that beat them 7-2 at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And a Bayern side that might be ripe for the taking right now. They've just lost two straight games. They've dropped to, I think, seventh in the Bundesliga. Yeah, seventh versus seventh, this is, yeah. Really? Yeah, which is mad. <laughs> So do you, do you think that uh, this is a, a dead rubber and, and we won't give it too much attention or, or will he want to please the Spurs fans by trying to wallop Bayern in, in their home stadium? I think it's a game to rest players ahead of a busy December, to be honest. Oh. All right, then. Yeah, he's already said Kane won't play, which is enough of a in- signal of intent as, or signal of non-intent as you can get. Mm. OK. Well, also this weekend then, Leicester got their eighth straight win. Newcastle won again. Blades, who were beaten by Newcastle on Thursday, won at Norwich. And Brighton, who beat Arsenal on Thursday, had a 2-2 with Wolves. We'll touch on some of the key issues there after this. Totally Football League show. When's that out, Matt? Uh, It'll be out on Wednesday tea time, usually. Abby has it ready for, which will be good. I can't wait to hear you and the gang discussing the narrative fixture of the week, which was uh, Middlesbrough against Charlton Athletic. First meeting on the touchline between... Jonathan Woodgate and Lee Boyer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's plenty to talk about. There's actually a fair few games in the Championship on Tuesday night, mm. uh, so we'll be looking back on them. But I'm pleased to say that there's a return to the Mudinese media family for David Priest will be in the studio with Willie? us. Willie? Yeah, so Osterson's loss very much our game. Speaking of, you're dead to me. We've not heard from David since he went off to <laughs> Osterson. <laughs> but he's back now, is he? Yes, uh, financial troubles for Osterson uh, and mm. maybe getting demoted a couple of leagues. I think I'm sure he'll tell us all about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking about that and what's happening at the top. It's looking like West Brom and Leeds for automatic promotion. There's a bit of a gap now between second and third, uh, eight points after the weekend. I know you like a Cowley update, yes, James. Uh, not going great for Huddersfield now. No wins in five, place above the relegation zone. Ooh, crikey. They did play Leeds at the weekend, to be fair, but they're not in great form. Okay. Matt, are you also doing a big Gorilla Position podcast Yes, we're on Thursday's Something Wrestling it's, event thing? It, it's Wednesday night Wednesday. at the Indigo O2. Right. Uh, it's pretty much sold out. Uh, we've got the Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch and her real-life fiancé Seth Rollins as the two wrestlers who are appearing with us. There'll be a couple of surprises. Does she, have a, does she have a wrestling fiancé then? Uh, they this are, is a real life fiance. they are acknowledged uh, in what we call cafe by the storyline as being a real life couple ok so, cool yeah. brilliant but yeah last few tickets go to the Gorilla Position Twitter page for that but they are pretty much sold out really looking forward to it it should be good ok <laughs> uh, there's also a an offside rule WSL edition out today Monday Suntime which may be discussing the game you went to see on Sunday Michael hopefully because it was second against third so if not they've missed a trick that's absolutely <laughs> true <laughs> And uh, second place Chelsea beat Man City. Third place Man City. Yeah, it was a really good game. I mean, you look at the WSL table, 
it's basically going to come down to the games between the top three, I think, who wins the league. They basically beat everyone else. And the games between them are the, the title deciders. Really good game. I thought Chelsea were the better side throughout, but went 1-0 down. Really good goal from Weir for Man City. Reminded me a little bit of a Dennis Burkamp goal, mm. I think, against Sheffield Wednesday in about 1997. I mean, any comparison to a Dennis Burkamp goal immediately says it's a good goal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Chelsea were the better side. Uh, goals from England and Mielder, uh, 10 minutes from time, but... Just really entertaining game. And a good thing about it was the first half was a little bit flat, a little bit waiting for stuff to happen, and it just exploded into life after half time. So, yeah, it was a thoroughly enjoyable game. What's, what's the gap between the three at the top? Uh, so, at the moment, Arsenal on 24 points, Chelsea two behind, but they do have a game in hand, and Manchester City are a further one point behind. So, yeah, like I say, I mean, Chelsea have beaten Arsenal and City this season, so they are. Uh, doing very well in the head-to-heads and if they win that game in hand then they will go top Brilliant. Uh, if you like a team goal by the way uh, the offside rule have tweeted out um, the one of the Arsenal goals from their game this weekend which was the very definition of a lovely team goal so I would recommend seeking that out it was Kim Little who scored it Little Nobs Here's Kim Little. Oh how about that said Little Nobs yeah. hey Back to the Premier League then. Aston Villa Leicester. Who saw this? Me. Matt. Ads wants to know, is uh, Johnny Evans the third best centre-back in the league and is Vardy getting better? Uh, uh, Johnny Evans didn't have a test in this game because he was playing against Wesley who didn't look great but didn't get any service either. Uh, Obviously, Johnny Evans has come to the fore in this game because he scored a goal. Jamie Vardy, he was nowhere near the best player on the pitch but he scored two goals. Second one was ruthless. First one was classic, more... uh, more for more fodder for Daniel and his theory about how he's fueled on the hatred of others because he miskicks the shot and then everybody goes Wee! and then he just runs and puts scored it in and cups on, his ears in front of the Villa fans. On that, he has now scored in every game since uh, Colin Rooney exposed his wife on social media. So if you want, <laughs> if you want to hear about fuel for form, that's it. Who was the best player on the pitch then? Oh, it was more of a collective thing, really. I mean, you can't help but be impressed with Soyuncu every time I see him. Uh, Ian Acho looked really good right. in the game for the time he was on. So th- this is such a remarkable story. A player who absolutely didn't figure, even among the reserves almost, in Brendan Rodgers' thinking, now suddenly making starts and looking like the ideal partner up front for Vardy. Yeah, well, he was kind of just playing off Vardy more, more as a kind of winger uh, in this game. Um, he has a good record against Villa. He scored a hat-trick against them for Man City in the cup a few years back and obviously it was that game against Everton last weekend which kind of propelled him into Rogers' thoughts but it was such a cruise I was a bit disappointed in Villa having seen them at Stamford Bridge last week I thought they looked quite good but they've got a problem in the centre of defence and a problem up front and they're, they're two key areas for them uh, Mings went off injured in the game he should have gone off five minutes before and they might not have conceded the first goal and Engels who replaced him and Konza together don't look like a really sort of top class centre half pairing but yeah this, this was a breeze for Leicester they are excellent we've got these games at City and home to Liverpool to come which will tell us a bit more about them right. but they've got they've, they're 14 points clear of fifth place yeah. so it, it would be an extraordinary collapse for them not to at least finish in the top four and at the moment you'd have them as the second best team in the league by by quite a margin I think yeah they're considerably closer to first place Liverpool than, than they are to uh, Man United in fifth right said Nick asked how do the tactics of Leicester in 2019 compare to Leicester 2016 what's the biggest change uh, they don't have a, a, a Riyad Mahrez on the counter attack 
they have to play things through midfield a little bit more. James Madison is excellent on the counter, but um, it, it feels like they are a little bit more proactive than maybe than that Leicester team was. Um, but Jamie Vardy is still the star. Jamie Vardy is still the man they try and service at all times. Uh, and Soyuncu is playing that Wes Morgan defensive leader role. The big difference between me for, between, for me between this team and that team is that these fullbacks are far, far better. Simpson and Fuchs were kind of uh, stymieing fullbacks, defensive fullbacks, whereas, I mean, Chilwell Chil- and Pereira are. Pereira is a phenomenal footballer. He's so, so good. There you go. More questions on the way, including a fascinating one about whether uh, Fellaini's signing would guarantee Spurs fourth place. But now, let's talk about Steve Bruce. Oh, my word. Newcastle, Michael, nine points up on last year. They beat Sheffield United on Thursday. Your favourite, Alan San Maximan, scored. Did you see his tweet after? He, he puts out a tweet saying, did anyone understand my goal celebration? If you, This is Alan writing here. He says, if you guess who are the two people that I am miming, I will send a Newcastle jersey to the first one that has the two correct answers. Did, didn't see no. this, no. I did, yeah. Have um, we had the two answers yet? Uh, I know what one of them is, and it comes back to Carl Anker's point that everything is wrestling because the second bit is WWE Supremo Vince McMahon's Is strut. it? Yes. Is it definitely? Apparently so, yeah. might have been Conor McGregor. I know that from reading the replies, not knowing it myself. Okay. Well, anyway, but yeah, a lot of fun. Newcastle in general, Matt. Yeah, John Joe Shelby, three in three, and I don't know, I quite enjoyed Big Andy, as as uh, well Steve called him, crossing in for John Joe with a captain's armband on to head in. Just I don't know if you don't get a kick out of that, this isn't the sport for you. Um, but yeah, he's, Steve Bruce is doing a great job, and he? as you say, nine points better off than this stage last season. Expectations were really low, which probably helps him, but he's definitely exceeding them. And and they came from behind to win this game, so there's yeah. obviously a bit of spirit about them. He was keen to point out they'd had a, a day less time to prepare, which I think is a big deal. Um, yeah. Right, four wins in six now for the Magpies. They're up to 10th place. Remarkable. There was some controversy over John Shelby's midweek goal. Mm. Uh, there was lots of controversy. Meanwhile, in Norwich's clash with Sheffield United this weekend, the fans singing, it's not football anymore, after a red card was overturned by, as some people put it, a full kit ref in a business park. <laughs> <laughs> that's much better than the chant the chant is person, rubbish do you think that person broadly is pro or against VAR <laughs> <laughs> it's a business park I don't know why that's funny but it is well you've been to Stockley Park that's it is, funny, it's, yeah. it's a funny place isn't it uh, yes um, but uh, well VAR I think everyone knows their positions by now uh, the Blades anyway coming away with a 2-1 win at Norwich while it finished 2-2 between Brighton and Wolves at the Amex. One game remains uh, this weekend, which is Monday night's West Ham Arsenal. The Arsenal team that was beaten, of course, by Brighton so dramatically last Thursday. No no big surprise in the meantime that Freddie Lundberg's uh, bringing a good pounce performance out of uh, (laughs) Arsenal or something like that. Work on that. Come back to you. <laughs> uh, right. Let's uh, let's get some odds on all sorts of things as producer Ben talks to Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Here he is on the line. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Here he is on the line. Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start with Everton. A fantastic result against Chelsea at the weekend. First win for Duncan Ferguson. So tell me, please, what are the markets saying about the next permanent Everton manager? 
Well, we have a new favourite in this market, but it's not Duncan Ferguson. It's Vita Pereira, who apparently is the world's richest man or something due to his job in China. He's 13 to 5 to get the job ahead of David Moyes, who is 10 to 3 to go back to Everton, despite every Toffee fan ever demanding he doesn't. Nico Kovac must be within the shout. He was at the match after all. He's 7 to 2. Our big dunk has shortened in the betting, but just to 4 to 1. Nigel Pearson's in at Watford now. What has that done for their chances of staying up and the rest of the relegation picture? Things starting to clarify at the bottom. We have two teams that are odds on to go down and quite heavily too. You mentioned Watford there. They're second favourite to go down. They're two to nine to be relegated. Norwich, the clear favourites. They're one to nine to go down. Bit of bad luck, bit of bad form. And then it gets a bit tight. So Southampton currently in our relegation zone. They're 17 to 10 to drop. Villa are 21 to 10. Bournemouth 10 to 3. West Ham 4 to 1 and then Burnley at 6 to 1. It's still quite tight down there. But the bottom two, we think, are odds on to go. And finally, we heard from Lee Wingate earlier from the other Bundesliga podcast, Liverpool versus Salzburg, the early kickoff on Tuesday. What's going to happen here, please? <laughs> They're 5 to 6 to get the victory against Salzburg. Red Bull have been very impressive in this tournament so far. They're 11 to 4 to get a huge win, 3 to 1 for the draw here. As ever this season, we're back in Liverpool. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, oh, let's get a question or two, eh, Matt? Sure. This one's from G Briz. G Briz wants to know if the long ball is making a comeback. You referenced uh, Liverpool's. Three balls. Well, through balls, but they yeah. are also hoofing it up in... I mean, that's a pejorative way of saying it, but they're also moving the ball upfield very quickly at the moment. Spurs and Liverpool created several goals this way in the last few matches, says G. Briz. Yeah, I think probably teams are passing it longer from the back. I think Order World created two, uh, was it last weekend, with mm. balls over the top. I think when teams are, are so intent on pressing high up the pitch, there is more of a willingness just to go over them. Right. And I think when you look at the... Uh, average pass completion rate over the last 10 years it went up very steadily to about 80% and it's kind of just levelled off maybe dipped slightly so I think there is evidence to say that yes but they are I mean long ball I think of is a different thing to long yeah, pass that's just hoofing it up whereas these are yeah. precision long passes exactly I think of a long ball as to a head rather than to, yeah. to feet Brighton yeah. evidence of that Brighton's first goal against Wolves on Sunday was exactly that it was Graham Potter's got them playing really almost comedically short across the back and then suddenly I think it was Adam Webster comes with a long diagonal ball through to uh, Neil Morpé who takes the shot really early and catches Patricia off guard so exactly the same and also uh, Martial's goal for Manchester United against City came from a almost old school De Gea hoof towards Martial's head which kind of caught City by surprise mm. but uh, yeah worked very effectively in, in this new modern breed of football, you need a big man who's able to bring it down upfield. So Tony Robinson asking, will Fellaini's signing guarantee Spurs fourth place? First off, is this actually a thing? Not that I've heard of. Oh, OK. I mean, it doesn't mean Should it's it not. Be a thing? There are some news, there, there are newspaper links. Um, because, because, because they he likes together before. Yeah, because he likes Fellaini and Spurs probably need a, a presence in the middle of the park I would have thought I mean it's not it's not a ridiculous idea right especially considering how well Llorente did for Spurs last year as a plan B hmm. yeah. Fellaini can do that role as well I'd heard Jacko was going to be the, the, the backup for Kane in January they were going for really? mm. I mean that would be that would be a sl- from what I've seen of Jacko in the last year that would be a dim sale from Roma surely because mm. they wouldn't get that much money for him either possibly not um 
Wow, that's uh, that's remarkable. We'll keep an eye on that. January not far away now. Colin McCracken asks after Cara's sublime rendition of Pesca Solido on Thursday's episode, which footballers' names do the pod think are the most satisfying to say out loud? Colin offers Victor Wanyama and Marius Lacatus. Neither of which really do it for me. Do you have a favourite, Michael? Quite like saying Camoranesi back in the day. Camoranesi. Yeah. Mauro Camoranesi. Yeah. <laughs> right. I actually didn't like him as a player at no. all. It was massively overrated and really nasty. He was a nasty. Yeah. On the similar theme, probably officially rhymes, Alisa Debe. Emmanuel Alisa Debe is a good That's one. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah, I still like Sunday Alisa like that. But at the moment, it's, it's a bit route one. But I enjoy the fact there's a footballer called Max Power. Max Power. But just in terms of the physical pleasure of, of, a, of a name rolling off your tongue. Sunday Alise. Right, yeah. Ali Adi, shout out for Ali Adier as well. It's yeah. Good what are we going there? Talia Latella from uh, Napoli. Talia Fico. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Qualiarella. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just saying words, aren't we? <laughs> just literally <laughs> making noises now. Uh, at the Bridge Pod says, which is a Chelsea FC podcast, Matt. Few of them around, apparently. Is that right? Is this Manchester City side approaching the end of an era and will Guardiola be in charge next season? Asking the big questions. I think it's a very fair question to ask. I mean, they just the performance on Saturday, it wasn't just the technical details that were wrong. They just do seem to be playing without intensity. And we know that Guardiola doesn't stick around for very long. Mm. And if they do finish, I mean, they're already what, 14 points off the lead. If they finish even further back than that, you do wonder whether he'll... You know, he hasn't ever really kind of built a second great side at a, at a club. He's kind of sustained the first thing he's created rather than, you know, done a Sir Alex Ferguson. And whether he'll have the energy and the motivation to do that, we'll have to wait and see. So I certainly wouldn't rule out him him leaving in the summer. And I think that might change. I mean, if he were to leave, I think I'm right in saying the favourite to replace him is Arteta. I think Arteta's in the top three or four favourites to take the next job at Arsenal, Everton and Man City. Wow. So there's a lot of kind of interconnected things, not least if uh, this Emery link is true. Which is a remarkable state of affairs for a, a managerial prospect who is essentially totally unproven. Yeah, I think that's fair. But uh, what, three seasons of uh, experience under Guardiola, I think is, uh, you know, decent, decent grounding for him. OK. All right. Oh, quick shout for the fact that Owen Coyle is back in the management game. Uh, last seen <laughs> at Ross County after mm. he spelled at Blackburn Rovers. I mean, he's, he's just taken over at Chennai FC. We're talking about worlds colliding, and the Arsenal job is still available as well. So that <laughs> well, is, could, could be finally his calling. He's not available now because he's just taken over at Chennai FC in the Indian Super League, two time ISL champions. Do you know who's been their managers the other two times? Oh, John Gregory? Is correct. And. As listeners to Galazzo will know, oh. Marco Matarazzi, yes. Wow. Yeah, that man has done everything. They also, it should be said, in 2014, signed Alessandro Nesta as a player. Who? Marco Matarazzi? What? Can I NFC? Did they? Wow. Incredible. Um, yes. Anyway, Owen Coyle uh, is the latest uh, inheritor of that proud legacy. And you have to say uh, he'll look less ridiculous in his shorts there because it's about 28 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be, he's really good on branding, isn't he? He'll be calling it the Indian Super League and if there's a sponsor, putting that in front of it and, and using FC after the name of the club every time too. That's <laughs> brilliant. There's a positive thing we can say about Owen Coyle as a manager. Excellent. All right, well, you know what, listener? That brings us to the end of today's show. We do have another one along tomorrow with Rafa, Jules, Alvaro and James running up all the big European news and looking forward to that midweek Champions League 
action. Matt, you've got a huge week ahead with the Totally Football League show and Gorilla Position extravaganza. And Chelsea Lille's too much, and really. Chelsea yeah. Lille. Brilliant. I'm sure we've all got uh, exciting weeks ahead as well. Yes. Yes. Not really. Not so much. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, whatever you're up to, listener, do hope you enjoy it. And join us on Thursday when Emma Saunders, Duncan Alexander, and James Horncastle again uh, will be with us for now from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>